Hello and welcome to the 1-106 of the Second Photography Podcast. We're now at episode 30. Before I go any further, I just want to say that this episode is sponsored by purpleport.com. Episode 30 is called My Top 5 Cameras. I've had many digital cameras and I've certainly had more than five in my time. And ones that haven't resonated with me, I've just sold them. Sometimes I will get a camera, I'll upgrade a camera, and if I don't use it or it doesn't resonate with me, I sell it on. But I want to talk today about my top five digital cameras. Now, this is my choice and it's quite unique to me and what I shoot and what I feel. You can't rush out and buy these cameras, interestingly, because you can't buy them new because they're, they're all quite old. But I'm going to run through my top five cameras. So at number five is the Ricoh Theta. And you might say, oh, you mean the Ricoh Theta S? And I'm, I would say, no, no, I don't. I mean the Ricoh Theta. I've got the first 360 camera from Ricoh, the first Theta. And this was probably one of the very first 360 consumer cameras. So it's an old camera, but I still think it's very, very relevant, particularly compared to the newer models. So we're now on Theta S and, and other Thetas and other companies have come out with 360 cameras, but I still have the original Ricoh Theta and I still think it's a great camera. 360 images are useful to me, but they're not images I'm going to take every day. In fact, even every week or even every month. I take them fairly sparingly. The reason I do that is a 360 image for me, I use really as capturing an environment to review later. So when I've done YouTube work, I've captured a 360 image so that I can sort of talk about my setup, so on and so forth. And that's what I use a 360 camera for. The Ricoh Theta original does not do video. Other subsequent ones do, and most 360 cameras now do video. But to me, I, I don't care. I want it solely for the image. and. 360 video isn't great because you've got essentially you're halving the resolution if you shoot um, a 360 video in 1080p well you, you're covering both sides you're covering front and back so you're sort of halving the resolution so 360 video is, is not for me the Ricoh Theta takes 360 images and it does that really well it's really good at what it does so it's a rectangular device which is curved towards the top and you hold it in the vertical orientation and it's got a front lens and a back lens. And it really doesn't matter where you compose because it takes a 360 image. It obviously doesn't have an LCD screen because you don't need to compose your image because you're taking a 360 picture. It's small enough to fit in a pocket and it comes with a case. Like I said, it's got two lenses and it's got three buttons. It's got one for power, one for Wi-Fi and one to take the image. And that's it. It's really simple and elegant. So like I said, it doesn't have a screen and it certainly can't hold a memory card. It's got four gigabytes of internal memory. So as you can imagine, with that little input and output features and functions, it needs to work alongside a smartphone. You don't have to use it alongside a smartphone or a tablet, but to get the most out of it, you need to use a smartphone and tablet. So it doesn't shoot RAW, and many 360 cameras now do shoot RAW images. It shoots JPEGs, but JPEGs are good enough for my use of 360. If you're using the accompanying app, you can change the exposure compensation. You can put in aperture, shutter, and ISO priority. But I found that just using the automatic mode works just as well as those semi-automatic modes. So when I take a picture, I don't need to connect it to my smartphone to take a picture unless I wanted to hide myself and not be in the image. The way I use the camera is I put it on top of my head, 
and I press the button and it takes a 360 image that I can see. I can later review that on my computer or on my smartphone. And like I said, I use it to document locations and other things. It is a documenting camera for me. Recently, Theta have improved the app and you can now give images motion and you can do tiny planets and things within the app, which is very useful and certainly is useful for my YouTube work. So the Ricoh Theta is a niche camera but I still have a good use for it and it has served me well. One thing I would say, your lenses stick out like every 360 camera. Taking care of the lenses is, is quite important and probably with a 360 camera. If you drop it and damage the lenses or the, well, you can't remove the glass on front of the lens. You can't remove any lenses. So drop it or get something on it or scratch it and you pretty much ruined your 360 camera. I haven't done that yet but the Ricoh Theta is my number five. In at number four is the Canon 550D. This was my first DSLR and I brought it really with video in mind. For video, it was great in its day and I still think it is great today for video. It has a mic jack, it's a lightweight DSLR and it's a comfortable APS-C performer. Now noise in still images becomes a concern at ISO 800. It's, it's not great in low light. This is not a low light camera. But if you use flash, and I extensively use flash, then it's pretty much good for all shooting conditions, really. So if you're doing anything where flash isn't suitable, you can always lengthen your shutter speed. Now, this wouldn't be a great camera for a wedding because it's not great in low light and you might be in a church. But on a sunny day, on a normal day, it's fine. It's a really good camera. Like most consumer cameras, rather than pro cameras, it has a single control wheel for aperture and shutter speed. You just have to press a button to flick between the two. I don't find that that's a huge problem. It's not built like a pro camera. It's probably not as rugged as a pro camera, but it certainly feels quite solid and well built. It, it, and it's lasted me for years. I, I bought it a very long time ago. It's still going. I still use it to this day because it is a lightweight camera. And it, when I go out with a DSLR and I'm doing just one lens, then this is a good one. This is a good one to take with me. It's It shoots at 80 megapixels and has nine autofocus points. And I can even attach it to my computer and shoot tethered. And this is the only camera I have that I can do that with. Magic Lantern adds some extra features and functionality, but I don't really need them. It does tremendously improve things for video, which is really good. And if I'm out on a day trip and I want a DSLR, this would be the one I would take with me. It's not too challenging. It comes with extra things like dust removal, raw shooting, bracket shooting. It can shoot in full HD, which is 1080p, 24, 25 and 30 frames per second. And it has a mic jack. Now, some people think, oh, it doesn't do 4K. Oh, it doesn't do 60 and 50p. For my needs, 1080 at 30 or 25 is, is what I shoot for video and it's all I need at the moment. So do I need any more than this camera? Well, not really. If the shooting conditions are right, this camera is a very good choice. And I know a lot of people who have this camera as their only camera, as their only DSLR, and they're happy with it. It is a good DSLR. I can't say any more than that. And that's why it's my number four. In at number three is the Fujifilm X70. Now this is my third Fujifilm camera and you can guess the other ones were, were sold and they were. So I've had the X20 and the X100 original. Now I really like the X100 but I found it too slow and we'll talk about that in a moment. I really like the X20. The X20 
had a good zoom range. I think it went from like 24 to 112 millimeters, 35 millimeter equivalent. So it was good and it was small, but it was a bit big at the same time. And I wanted a bigger sensor and I wanted a wider aperture and I wanted to get slightly better images than that camera could give me. So I got the X100 and I love the X100, but it had a, a real downside. So I sold the X100 and got the X70 and the X70 I'm definitely going to stick with. The X70 is a small pocketable camera and it has superb, excellent image quality. The image quality is fantastic. The autofocus is quick and snappy and this is where the X100 fell down. So I started photography before I had a family. And then when I started a family, my shooting changed. It went from shooting, well, I went from shooting fashion and portrait work to doing family images, to doing sort of more street photography. And I'll probably get onto that with a subsequent camera, my street photography. So now I'm shooting family images and it means that portability is key because we're going out places um, and I want to capture those moments. So I want to take a good camera with me. So portability, it, the X100 had low light. It was good in low light. It had an F2 lens. It could work well at high ISOs. So it was good in low light. But as the children got bigger and more importantly, quicker, snappy autofocus became important. Now the X100 was let down by its autofocus. It was very slow. Oh yeah, it was very slow. Whereas the X70 is a little bit smaller is a little bit more discreet and key thing here has much quicker autofocus is much much snappier so it became a much better camera for shooting family things and it became much better for shooting street photography so let's talk about the x70 well the screen is excellent it folds up and down and it allows you to get selfies and low angle shots so you can compose a shot at a really good angle and if you didn't have a flip screen, this would be quite challenging. You'd be able to do it, but it would be quite difficult. Touchscreen is a joy to use. You can touch the screen, it will focus and take the image all really quickly. I can link it to my smartphone. I can print from the camera to my Instax printer. I can shoot in RAW, then I can produce JPEGs. And as I got more in street photography, the X70 stood out as a camera for great street work. It has really high flash sync speeds. Auto ISO works incredibly well. And I really like the manual controls of Fujifilm cameras. So while I bought the X20 and the X100, I really didn't lose a lot of money selling them and trading up. I hardly lost anything. In fact, I think I might have sold one for a bit more than I paid for it. And the X70 is something I'm going to stick with. I really like the X70. It is a great camera. In at number two is the Sony RX100. And I talked about my shooting changing from fashion and portraits to more family and street work. As that shift happened, so did my opinions of DSLR and compact cameras. They changed as well. Earlier, I'd always favoured a DSLR and I'd always shied away from compacts and zooms. And primarily my lens choices were geared towards primes, primes for DSLRs. I wanted viewfinders and I wanted the confidence that I could get the shot when it mattered. Now, since having a family and getting into street photography, I wanted a camera with me quite a lot. I wanted a camera I could put in my pocket and take somewhere with me. I wanted to always be prepared to get that image. I wanted something I could get out of my pocket, turn on, take an image, and that's that. With a DSLR, yes, you can turn it on quite quickly if you've got a lens attached. It's probably not going to be in your pocket, though. It's probably going to be tucked away in a bag. It's also cumbersome to take out a DSLR, and I feel it's a bit of a no-no with street photography. Now, the RX100 felt, felt like the right camera for my new shooting. 
And it was. I got the first iteration, and you might have heard in my Sony RX100 episode, I talk about the, the different iterations. At the time, you could buy many iterations of the camera, and I went for the first one because the first one had the features I needed. I didn't need anything much beyond that, really. It is a tiny camera. The lens retracts. I'm actually holding it now. It's a tiny camera. fits in the pocket. One solid unit. Lens pops out. Lens retracts when you turn it off. It's, it's really good. It is a premium compact. It feels like a premium compact. But I got a good price because I bought the older version. Focusing is fast and images are great. It's a 20 megapixel sensor. I'm not going to get the shallow depth of field I get from a DSLR. I don't know if I'm going to get the right, the dynamic range I get from a DSLR. I must ask myself this question. Would I rather get the image than not get the image? I'd rather get the image. So the RX100 is great for that. It zooms from about 28 to 100 millimeters in 35 millimeter terms, um, which covers me for most shooting experiences that I'm going to be doing. It's got steady shot technology built into the camera. So the shots are stabilized shots. Low light capabilities are very good. It's got a good auto ISO feature as well. Um, downsides, it can be quite, it has no, doesn't have a touch screen, doesn't have a, a, my one doesn't have a touch screen, doesn't have a flippy screen, does have a flash, but it's not very powerful. And it can be a bit fiddly to change settings quickly. And obviously compare that to the X70 where I can just move a dial and a few switches with a Fuji camera. I, I probably would never use the menus to change a setting. I would do it in a tactile way, just using the controls on the camera. So it is lacking that. Also, when, when you buy the camera, it's quite small and, and the grip isn't very good. So I bought a little stick on grip that in all honesty should come with the camera that you can stick on or not. But yeah, they're minor gripes. Um, the grip drastically improves it, but again, it's minor gripes. Before I go on to what is my number one camera, I want to talk about some honorable mentions. Now, remember I said I've had lots of cameras and I've sold them. I don't think I can say a camera is in my top five or my top 10 if I've sold it. Please bear that in mind. So some honorable mentions, the iPhone 5C, it's my current smartphone. I'm happy with an iPhone 5C. I don't need anything better. And like most people, I take a lot of images with my iPhone and it's okay. It's never wowed me, but it, it, it's okay. And it does a good job at what it does. But I'd sooner rather take a compact camera with me and, and use that. I find getting the iPhone out of my pocket, pressing the button, getting to the camera, getting focus, and it's slow anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm not thrilled with the iPhone, but it serves a purpose. And certainly it, it's not good for family images because it, it's quite a slow, has quite slow shutter speeds. I would rather have more manual controls. And yes, I could get an app for that, but I'm quite happy using the native one. The Olympus EPL1 was a camera I bought for £40 and it came with a viewfinder. And the reason I bought the camera was because I wanted the viewfinder. I wanted the viewfinder to put in a hot shoe with a 35mm lens I had. This was an optical viewfinder, but this optical viewfinder from Olympus was costing £90. It wasn't worth it for a plastic viewfinder. But then I saw it on an Olympus EPL1, and it kept, the, the two came together, and it cost £40, and I bought it. I used the viewfinder, then I subsequently sold it um, for more than I paid for the Olympus EP1, but I kept the EP1. The EP1 was a nice premium camera nice construction had image stabilization built in which i really like and then i started getting a few more lenses for it 
and I started to get into micro four thirds photography. I think there's a there's another episode somewhere on micro four thirds photography. So I'm not going to say too much and spoil things. But yeah, I've obviously I've gone on and sold the camera and I also sold the viewfinder as well. And I made a good bit of money selling that. But yes, that gets an honorable mention. And the Canon EOS M original. I got this as a second video camera because it was really cheap. So Canon brought out the EOS M, the first one, and it didn't do too well. And then all of a sudden, this £500 camera or £600 camera was being sold for an awful lot cheaper. And they brought out some lenses and the best lens you can get for that camera, or particularly at the time, was the Canon 22mm pancake lens, which is a phenomenally good lens. It's an excellent lens. So I got the camera new, incredibly cheap, and I got the lens new, incredibly cheap, and I paired them together. So pairing them together basically gave me a DSLR in a pocketable format, and I used that for several years for family shooting, and it was great, and it was really good for video, had a really nice touch screen, and had a mic jack, and it was really good, and that used to get taken everywhere we went as a family, but I've sold it since, and I've sold the lens, so I can't include it in my top five. So let's look at what number one is. Well, number one has to be my Canon 5D Mark One. Some people call it the Canon 5D Original. This is a steal of a camera, and it's particularly a steal of a camera now. At the moment, I see a lot of YouTube videos about how good this camera is, and I've sort of been noticing those quite recently. And what the YouTube videos are saying is it's a good camera for the price, and they are completely right. I got mine used for a low sum of money, but you can probably pick one up for about £300 or $300 today. And what you're picking up is a professional full-frame Canon camera that all the professionals used to use a long time ago. So the camera is a 12 megapixel full-frame sensor camera. Doesn't do video, just does stills. The image quality is excellent. And I've been happy with images shot at ISO 3200. Now this is the top ISO when you extend the ISO range. So I extended the ISO range, otherwise it caps out at 1600. I've extended it to 3200 and I've used it to shoot things and I've been really happy. Well, I say I've been really happy. The images are usable. Obviously you prefer less noise, but I've used the images captured at 3200 and I've given them to people and they've been happy with them. I used to shoot at a film night and it was always dark because films were being projected. And I used to bring me the 5D and I used to bring my 50mm prime lens. So I used to shoot at about f2 and the room would be dark and the person speaking would be illuminated by light or maybe illuminated by the screen that the film was being projected onto. And I would get images that had noise but they looked fine and they were usable. It's made shooting in very low light okay and I can do it and I can get usable images but the images you get in good light and the images you get with flash just look really good I can get a very shallow depth of field because it's a full frame camera and the images just just look very good and to be honest compare it to a newer camera and I, I don't think people could tell particularly on the internet and particularly on JPEGs not blowing things up to a huge size to pixel peep but yeah I, the images are fantastic and it's a tough camera. I had a, I've got a black rapid strap and I used it on this camera a long time ago and I was walking around and the camera fell off the strap and it hit the floor. There's a big crash and it fell from essentially from my hip to the floor and there's a minor crack in the body. There is a little crack in the body from that fall, but the camera's always worked since. It is a true tough camera. 
It's not probably not the toughest there is and it's not weather sealed. I picked it up and thought, oh God, here we go. But it worked and it's worked every day since. It's a really good, solid workhorse of a camera. And you know what? It's easy to shoot with as well. I let someone who's a Sony shooter use it and they had a, a very complex Sony. And basically I, I turned it on with the switch at the back. This is my 5D. I turned it on with the switch at the back and I moved the wheel around at the back and I said, that does your aperture. And this one at the front does your shutter speed. Look here on the top LCD and it tells you what you've got. Half press to focus and there you go. And he just immediately took to it. There was no complication. It's intuitive. It's easy to use. You can quickly change your settings if you need to. Easy. And I know Canon get a lot of stick for the LCD screen that, that's on the top of the camera, on the sort of camera top. And I know people knock it for looking 1980s, like a 1980s watch, but I find that so useful to be able to quickly peer down, look at my settings and quickly change them because I can quickly change them with buttons. One button for ISO, change that. One button for drive. It's just easy to change things. And to be honest, getting back to that LCD, I don't know what else you could use. Is there a better way of doing it? I don't think there is. So I'm quite happy with the LCD. So I've used this camera for years and I know and I trust it. My best images and the images I'm most proud of have come from using this camera with flash, out in daylight, difficult shooting environments. I've used this camera, I've got great images. I like to shoot full frame for the noise and the gorgeous images you get in the shallow depth of field. So this camera for me is excellent value. This camera for me gives me the best images of the cameras I have. I know this camera won't let me down. I've used it for lots of shoots and I've used it in family scenarios as well. And for all those reasons, it's number one. I've built up a good selection of lenses to use with this camera. So I'm not gonna move from this camera any day soon. Suffice to say, if anything happened to the camera, I would be really gutted. So those are my top five cameras. So let me know your thoughts. I'm also on Twitter. I, I don't know why I forgot to mention that in all these episodes. So you can follow on Twitter at 160SPPodcast. That's 160 for second, P for photography and podcast. I didn't want to write the whole name out for Twitter. So that's 160SPPodcast. And I'm also on Patreon. And August bonus content is very likely to be a special Patreon podcast episode. So if you want to check me out on Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash 160SPP. As always, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it and goodbye.